Welcome to the Gilbert Church Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, challenges you, and gives you perspective to see that God is always for you and is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. We're going to look at famous last words. John 19 says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I read it again. Jesus is on the cross. This is the third statement he makes. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. We're going to talk about the power of belonging this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your spirit. God, that it's just rested upon this place. Feel it even now. It's not left. It's here. You're here in this place. So God, we just turn this service over to you as we have from the beginning. I say, move me completely out of the way. Let nobody see me, but let it be your word straight from heaven. God, let it plant a harvest right in our hearts, God. We thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, this morning that you've been healing hearts. You've been touching minds. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would continue to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Jesus is on the cross. you got to understand he's only had three years of ministry, which is not very long. And in this three years of ministry, he's pulled 12 disciples near him. But what the Gospels don't talk about a whole lot is that he's also got a group of women with him that's been fiercely passionate and devoted to him, including his mother and including John's mother, Salome. And Mary Magdalene ends up joining the group. And so there's a group of people. Jesus has a posse. Okay, He has a group of people that have been surrounding him for three years. They've watched his miracles. They've watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. They've watched all of this stuff. And in watching all of this, their response has been jealousy and arguing and fighting because they want to be closer to Jesus. They want to be the disciple that Jesus loves. They want to be the closest person to Jesus. And so everybody wants to connect with Jesus, and he has connected with them. He could have done everything he wanted to do all on his own, but he chose to do it as part of a family. He chose to, to get 12 disciples and pull them close to himself and go out and do the work of the ministry together. But now that he's on the cross... He looks out and he, he realizes something that I'm sure he realized from the beginning. All these people have been wanting to be close with him, but he's getting ready to go. His work on earth is getting ready to be finished. And then the Holy Spirit is going to come and be the helper. But as he goes, he understands that while these people have been so connected to him, it's time to shift the story and they're going to have to be connected with each other. He's went through what some scholars say, 468 lashes on his back. 468. Each little strip with bone. 
His skin is shredded. It's in ribbons. He's lost so much blood that he's completely in shock and he cannot take the cross even to Golgotha. His blood pressure has dropped if you look medically at what is going on. It's completely bottomed out. They force him down on the ground after they've put a crown of thorns and they put a robe on him. They put the robe on him to mock him, but they also put the robe on him to prolong his life because he keeps losing so much blood because his skin is exposed. His organs are exposed. You can look through and you can see his lungs. You can see his heart because they've beat him so severely. They take nine-inch nails And when they put the nails in his hands, it severs all of his nerves, and he has severe nerve damage. When they take the cross, and they put it in the hole, and they lift him up, it immediately dislocates his shoulders, his elbows, his knees. All of his bones are now completely dislocated. And at this point... Medical professionals say that in order to breathe, he's got to push up on his feet just to take a breath, which is the most painful thing that he can possibly do because his entire body is screaming out in pain. And every time he pushes up to take a breath, there's pain that is, ta- that is taking place. They say that it takes even more effort to speak. And so I was reading an article this week, and a medical professional said it is astounding that Jesus could make one statement from the cross, much less seven, because of all of the effort that it took. What that tells me is that if he's in this much pain, and of course he is, and he is making seven statements, every statement he makes is important. He's not going to waste his time. He's not going to waste his breath because every time he says something, it hurts him so badly. So the third statement that he makes is this one when he looks at Mary and he looks at John, the disciple that he loved, and he said, Behold your mother and behold your son. Now what I didn't understand is that Salome, John's own birth mother, is standing right beside of them. John's mom is there. And I'm going to be honest, if I'm John's mom and I hear somebody say, you got a new mom, I'm going to be like, no, Noah does not have a new mom. I'm Noah's mom. Noah got one mom, me. I'm enough. But Salome is standing there. And the Bible doesn't record what she does, but it does say that from that point on, John took Mary into his home. So I believe Salome must have been okay with it. Because she understood it wasn't about replacing her. It was about Jesus looking out and saying, I'm going to go. You've been connected with me. You've watched me. You've lived life with me. Now you've got to be connected and you've got to live life with one another. That's his message even to the church right now. The church cannot be a business. The church can't be a clique. It can't be a social club. We're meant to be a family. We're meant to look at each other and say, Behold, you're my daughter. I'm your mother. That's your father. That's your father. You can have multiple according to the word. The Bible talks about how you don't have very many spiritual fathers. We are supposed to be a family that belongs and is connected to one another. That's who we are meant to be. Just a couple years ago, researchers did a study 
And they asked a 1,000 people to score on a scale of 1 to 10. I want you to think about this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you in your relationships? How loved and supported do you feel? How loved and supported do you feel by the people around you? Do you know that people were twice as likely to put a one or a two the very bottom than any other number? Overwhelmingly, people put that they weren't satisfied. Robin Williams, we know what happened to him. He, a famous quote that he said that, that gained a lot of attention after his suicide. He said, people say that the worst thing is to be alone. That's not true. The worst thing in the world is to be with people who make you feel alone. I can say amen on that one, right? There's nothing worse. It's, it's bad to feel alone. It's worse, though, when you're surrounded by people everywhere and you still feel alone because the people around you make you feel like you are alone. Let me say this. In this church, nobody should be alone. We should be a family. We should look at one another and say, you belong to me. I belong to you. You've got my back. I've got your back. We belong to one another. We belong to one another. A leading doctor said, out of all the health issues today, loneliness is the number one health issue in America. He said, it's the same negative health effects as smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. It's twice as negative. Loneliness is twice as negative as obesity. Loneliness has the same effects as being a lifelong alcoholic. And in spite of all this, we will tell people not to drink. We will tell people not to smoke. But the very first thing that we do when we're, we're busy, the very first thing that's cut out of our schedule and our calendar is time with other people. Oh, I'd really like to go to the movies, but I just don't have time. I'd really like to come down. I don't want to mess with you. I'd really like to come down and make peanut butter eggs, but I just don't have time. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> Alicia got the Holy Ghost on that one. <laughs> I'd, I'd really like to come to Connect Group, but I just don't have time. You got time to binge Netflix. You got time to pick the phone up and talk all day long. You, you got time. We've all got time. Can we just be honest? We just mismanage our time a lot of times. And we are really quick. It is the first thing to go. I'm guilty too. I'll look at my schedule. I may have a dinner scheduled with someone. I'll look at my schedule and I'm like, oh gosh, something's got to go. I can't go meet at Mexican this week. Like, no. That, like, that's crazy. We mismanage our time. Or others mismanage our time. I feel that too. Amen. Hallelujah. We are wired to need each other. Scripturally. And research says that the most powerful thing that you can say to someone, the most powerful thing that you can say is you can look at them and you can say, I see you. Meaning, I see your struggle. I'm not ignoring your struggle. I see that you're going through something, and I'm here, and I'm going to sit with you in this struggle. I remember one of the most powerful things that, that someone said to me, um, and it was just recently, actually. It was, it was about a month ago. My friend Kristen texted me, and she said, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you, that I love you, I see you, and I hurt with you. That last line, I hurt with you. 
And I knew, I knew that she meant it. And what mattered to me was that she saw that I was hurting. I believe we see people very clearly, but we don't communicate to people that we see people. And if you can't communicate it, a book that I read, there was a quote, it said that love, unexpressed love is worthless. You can feel it in your heart, but if you don't express it, the other person has no idea that you feel it. They did a medical, they did a study with a medical procedure. They took a hundred people it's a very serious medical procedure. And they measured their brain wavelength as they did this procedure. And their stress level was at an 80 to 90%. They took another 100 people, the same exact health procedure, and they let them take their best friend, male or female, into the room with them. And all that friend did was just sit there with them and just hold their hand. And the stress level went from 90% down to 10%. The health issue was the same. The procedure was the same. But when I can be with somebody, when somebody's with me, the stress level is not the same because I feel connected, because I know I'm doing this together. Have you ever been through a situation before, and when you're alone, that, that's one of the, the worst things. It, the situation is not so bad as being alone, and feeling alone is what makes it so bad. But when you have somebody step up, it's why the scripture talks about in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone and falls because he has no one to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. We listen to that scripture. But I'm telling you, at some point, we have to make the choice to look at other people and say, you belong to me, and I belong to you. I'm going to be connected with you. I'm not just going to come to church with you. I'm going to belong to you. You're going to belong to me. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's even outside of the church. You belong to me. I belong to you. The very first issue, it doesn't surprise me at all that Jesus addresses this from the cross, even in spite of his pain, because the very first issue that God himself addressed in Genesis 2 is the issue of loneliness. He creates Adam, he puts Adam in the garden, and then in Genesis 2, he says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. We're connected in this life to help one another. I want to ask you, how much are you helping the people around you? It's no surprise to me that Jesus in his final moments and his words, he spends them with John and Mary. Jesus is making a point here. He's letting them know that he's introducing a new order He's introducing a new hope, but he's also introducing a new family. And he looks at both of them and he commits them to one another. Why? Because at the end of the day, whether we acknowledge it or not, we do belong to one another. We belong to one another. There's a difference in belonging and fitting in. And in the church world, the problem a lot of times is people come in, and we want them to fit in rather than belong. 
We want to give them a checklist of what they've got to do to fit our imaginary status and quota and everything else. And you got to check all these boxes off. And if you behave the way that you, we want you to behave, then you can belong. That's not belonging. That's manipulation. We have to create a space in this church that when people walk in, they belong, period. Because that's how a family works. You don't get to choose your family. You get to choose your friends. Amen. Somebody say amen on that one. Come on. Because half y'all, if you could have chose your family, you would chose somebody different. Let's just be real about it. You don't get to choose your family. You don't get to choose your church family. You don't get to choose that. You get to choose your friends. You don't get to choose your family. And so at some point, we have to understand that belonging, it's not just manipulating someone and making them be what we want them to be. And it's not just joining a group. True belonging is being vulnerable with one another. It's being uncomfortable sometimes. It's learning how to be present with people. Well, I don't want to invite them to go eat Mexican. It might be weird. I never talk to them. That's why you should. It's hard to hate people close up. You feel like, I just don't understand them. I don't know why they act like that. She just speaks in tongues all the time. She just does that windshield wiper worship move. It just annoys me. Every time she does it, it just annoys me. That's because you don't know me. If we go sit down and we have dinner... I'm going to share part of my heart with you. You're going to share part of your heart with me, and you're going to walk out and feel like a dog because you judged me. Come on, it's the same. I mean, I can use someone else as an example. We use Angie as an example. I don't like the way she leads worship. I wish she'd just choose a different song. Well, you go out and you sit with Angie, and you start hearing her heart, and you see something outside of the music, and now she's the best worship leader I've ever seen in my life. I love her. She's so anointed. She's anointed. I'd fight for her. Three weeks ago, you were talking about her. What's the difference? Now you know her. You know her now. When you get close up with someone, when you know somebody, it's really hard to talk about them. It's really hard to view them negatively. It's learning how to be present with people. It's signing up and joining. It's taking a seat at the table. It's listening. It's having hard conversations. This is what belonging is. It's looking for joy. It's sharing pain. I like this one. It's being curious instead of defensive. The moment someone says something, I got my feelings hurt. Did you tell him you got your feelings hurt? No, I'm telling you. That's the problem. It's being intentional about seeking moments of togetherness. People laugh at me. The, the workers at the Mexican restaurant laugh at me. I come in with different people all the time. That's my place. I'm like, hey, let's go have Mexican together. I don't really care about the Mexican food. I just want to talk with you. That's all I want. It's seeking moments of togetherness. And as a church, it should be us saying, we want to be with you. We want to celebrate with you we, when you graduate. We want to celebrate with you when you have a baby or when you land a new job, when you finish your final round of chemo. We want to mourn with you when you lose a loved one or you have any painful loss of any kind. We want to pray with you. But above all, we want to be with you. 
That's the message as a church. We should be sending to one another and every new person that walks through this door. We are here to be with you. We want to be with you. Nobody should be a part of this church and feel lonely. Nobody should be a part of this church and feel alone because we should follow the words of Jesus and we should understand that we're a family and that we belong to one another. Listen, just some some things about belonging. If you're going to belong to one another, if I'm going to belong to you and you're going to belong to me, the first thing I feel like, and and I posted on Facebook because I had six, but Alicia jumps on to me. See, we're going to talk about honesty. She says I'm I'm a little bit too long, and I joke and tell her to bring an energy bar. Um, But we, we belong to one another so we can do that and not be defensive. Amen. If one of y'all looked at me and said, you go too long, I'd say, what? bless you. <laughs> you can just take me out to Mexican and tell me, or I don't know, tell Alicia until then, until you get to know me. But I told her, I said, just, just bring an energy bar. As Chelsea said last night, she looked at my PowerPoint and she said, should I message Alicia now and tell her to bring two energy bars? I said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good. I'm going to be good. One of the first things you got to do if you belong to one another, you've got to cultivate trust. That's the foundation of any relationship. If I can't trust you and you can't trust me, there is no relationship. Amen? That goes for your marriage. That goes for your friends. That goes for your church family. If we can't trust you, there's no relationship there. Trust is built when we create expectations that we can fulfill for one another. That's when we build trust. It's, I've, I've been guilty of this before. Uh, I know my schedule. I know my schedule's busy. But I'll say, let's get together next week. I have no intentions of getting together next week. I want to get together next week, but my schedule's too full to get together next week. So then you're going to be disappointed when you try to get together with me next week. And then when it doesn't work and you message me on Facebook, I'm going to say, next week knowing that I'm too busy and I'm not going to be able to do it next week. And then all of a sudden, there's no trust in the relationship because I've not met the expectations. And it's my fault because I should have been honest and I should have said I would love to get together with you right now, but it's going to be a couple weeks. Trust is the foundation of any relationship. Any kind of relationship, we're always going to have expectations for one another. So I'm guilty of having too high of expectations and then I get disappointed. Some of us have way too high of expectations. We expect everybody to be perfect and the moment that they aren't perfect, then we're done, out, you're out of my life. And then some of us don't have any expectations and we're a doormat and we let everybody run over top of us. Amen? Trust is built though. This is, this is what I, I thought. Trust is built. I thought about my own life. Trust is built when we show up, when I show up for you and you show up for me, then I can build trust. When you're hurting and I show up for you, even if it's through a message or a phone call or a gift card or whatever it may be, if I show up for you and you're hurting, then we can build trust in that way. If you're celebrating and I show up for you, again, whether it's a post on Facebook or whatever it may be, then we can, we can build something because I'm showing up for you. How many people are you showing up for? Maybe you're showing up for the wrong people. 
Sometimes I show up for all the wrong people and it gives me no room or time to show up for the right people. That can preach all in of itself. That's a good word right there. Sometimes we will show up for all the wrong people in our life. And then we have no time or energy to show up for the right people. And then some of the most important relationships to us or the the relationships that could be the best, we have broken all trust in because we've been running after the wrong people. Trust is when we show up. It's when we have honest communication, like I was joking with about me and Alicia. We can be very honest and open, and we don't hurt each other's feelings about anything. I wore heels one time, and she was like, girl, you look painful. That was bad. And I laughed, and I said, you're right. It was painful. But again, I'm telling you, if somebody that I didn't know walked out and said, you, that looked painful, I'd be like, hmm, thank you. It's all in if you have a relationship. Trust is built when we have honest communication. I know anytime I have a question, I will go to Alicia and I'll say, what do you think about it? Because I can trust that she's going to be honest with me. Because some people will say, oh, that's a great idea, Pastor. And then they'll go call three people and say, she's crazy. She's lost her mind. Well, what did you tell her? Well, I was afraid. I said it was a great idea. Well, that's why we're going to do it and it's going to flop. Because you weren't honest about it. You've got to communicate openly and honestly if you're going to have trust. Even if it's a hard conversation. And can I say this about hard conversations? If you're going to have hard conversations in the church, outside of the church, with anybody, the best way to have a hard conversation is in person and not through text message. Because through text message, I don't know your tone and you don't know my tone. And I might be the most loving, it might be a very loving tone, but you're already mad and you're already angry and you're already frustrated and you read it with that lens and that filter of being mad and angry and frustrated and then the relationship is ruined and it's broken and there's so much work you got to do and it, w- it could have all been solved if you would have just talked openly and in person. That's a word too. I've, I've said before, people have texted me before, and they've been, you know, just running, and I say, I am not having this conversation right now. I love you too much, and I care about you too much to have this conversation through Facebook Messenger. We will meet, and we will have this conversation face-to-face. I have never been disappointed every time I've had a conversation face-to-face. When I've engaged on Facebook, when I've engaged on text, oh, it's got ugly, ugly, ugly. goes back to people are hard to hate close up, though. When I can look you in the eyes, and you can look me in the eyes, and you can hear my heart, and I can hear your heart, the chances of us being really, really angry at each other and walking out, slim to none. Trust. If I'm going to belong to you, I've got to believe in you. I've got to believe in you. It's like people that volunteer for, I'm going to, okay, this is a job we don't have. Uh, it, it, it would be like people volunteering for parking duties. And then they never show up. And then you schedule them the next week and they never show up. And you schedule them the next, next week and they never show up. Well, there's no trust there anymore because they didn't show up. Trust is built when we show up and when we're honest. Angie feels me on that one. It's, it's built when we show up. If we can show up, we can build trust. In this church, you need to show up. That went better than I expected. 
You need to show up. I need you to show up. God needs you to show up. Angie needs you to show up if you're going to be in the praise and worship team. The kids in the back need you to show up if you're going to volunteer to be a part of Sunday school. We need you to show up. What if somebody comes up here to this altar and needs prayer and you are the one that has the anointing on your life to break the chains but you don't show up because you want to go to Walmart at 2 o'clock and it doesn't fit your schedule to come to church and go to Walmart at 2 o'clock. Sorry, I didn't mean to get that harsh right there. What happens? We miss moments in the spirit realm that we don't even know we've missed because we're just too casual with God. We're too casual with his people. We're too casual with his church. It is a holy responsibility. It is a holy calling to belong to a group of people. It's holy. It's special. It's a privilege. I consider it a privilege to be here every Sunday. I consider it a privilege to be a part of this church every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday. Alicia was saying, well, it's, I, I love that you came down and did the peanut butter eggs. I said, I just like to hang out. I just want to be here. I just want to be with you. We need to be with one another. I need to be with you. You need to be with me. Chelsea needs to be with Naomi. Naomi needs to be with Chelsea. Uh, Sparks needs to be with Ron. Ron needs to be, like, there's relationships in this church that we need to cultivate, and we need you to show up. Thank you, Mike. We need you to show up. God needs you to show up. Your presence matters. I'm getting ready to move on, I promise. I told this to someone. Your presence matters. And I can say this to every person in here. When you're not here, we feel your absence. Your absence is felt in this place. One can put 1,000 to fight. Two can put 10,000 to fight. Three can put 100,000 to fight. So when you're not here, it makes a difference. We need you to show up. It's part of belonging. You got to decide, are you going to be are you just going to be a church attendee or are you going to belong? Are you going to belong? Loyalty is part of belonging. Proverbs 26 <laughs> says many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? Ouch. Is that not true, though? Everybody in your life will tell you they're loyal. And three days later, you'll catch them talking about you behind your back. They probably talked about it two hours down the road. You just found out 72 hours later. Many will say they're loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? Even the Bible acknowledges that everybody will say it. But it, it's special to find someone who is truly loyal. I had, I had someone that came to me um, at the school. It was a school situation probably about a year ago. And they, they sat down and they said, oh, were your ears burning during uh, third lunch? I was like, no. Why? Well, up in the teacher's lounge, man, they're all talking about you. They're just, and they start telling me all this stuff. And this is a, a friend of mine. And uh, I said, 
Okay, didn't bother me. Did not bother me, didn't phase me, didn't hurt my heart, didn't any of that stuff. I wasn't going to lose any sleep over it, believe me, because I knew who they were, and I knew what they said, and I knew it was, you can't expect better from some people. It just is what it is. I'm not trying to belong to them, so I don't care what they say about me. But this person, I thought I belonged with. So I said, okay, what did you say back? Uh, well, uh, uh, well, I mean, I, I didn't say anything. I, I, didn't, I didn't join in the conversation. I didn't say anything. I was, I was very careful. I kept my mouth shut. I said, how dare you? Keeping your mouth shut is the same as giving consent and agreeing with them. If you're my friend, you should have stood up and said, nobody's going to talk about my friend like that. You may not like her. You may not care about her. But that's my friend, and you're going to keep your mouth off of my friend. Because I would do that for you. I've done that for you before. That is loyalty. That's loyalty. Keeping our mouth shut all the time, that's not loyalty. Is that I am so loyal for you that I will fight for you. I'm not talking about throwing fists. I'm talking about in, in, in a lifestyle. Loyalty is a lifestyle. And let me tell you, if they're going to talk about somebody with you, they'll talk about you with somebody else. They will talk about you with somebody else if they're going to talk about everybody else with you. Opportunity should never control our loyalty. We can disagree with one another, and we will because we are human. We can vocalize our disagreement, and we can still be loyal to one another. We can still be loyalty. Proverbs 3 says, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them deep within your heart. Proverbs 18, 24. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. That sounds like loyalty to me. You're going to be my friend, you're going to stick closer than a brother. You're going to take up that space in my life, you're going to stick closer than I know who I am. I know what I'm worth. I know my value. And I'm not going to let you come in and take space in my heart and then walk away from me and not be loyal to me because I'm going to be loyal to you. That's the attitude we should all have in here. We should know that we are worth something, that we are a daughter or a son of God. And we're not going to let people take occupy space in our heart and then not be loyal to us. Listen, they, they were talking about one of my kids. They were talking about something that was true. They were saying, that girl's always late. She's done it. Everybody looks at her as a leader, and she's always late. And I said, you shut your mouth right now. And they went, well, am I telling the truth? I said, I don't care that you're telling the truth. She doesn't belong to you, so you keep your mouth shut. It's not about whether it's true or not. It's a matter of they don't, if they, if they don't belong, you have no business talking about anybody else. If you can't go and talk to them to their face, nobody else has any business hearing about anyone else. If we truly belong to one another, we have to keep our mouths shut and we got to be back to trust. We got to talk directly to that person. We've got to talk directly to that person. Almost all of y'all put loyal down on my Facebook post as one of the things that's most important to you. Why? I believe it's because loyalty is so hard to find. It's so hard to find. Listen, I want us to be a church that is loyal to one another. 
that we belong to one another. And because you belong to me and because I belong to you, I am going to protect you. I am not going to destroy you. I am going to stick closer to you than a brother. John 15, 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's hardcore loyalty right there. That's got to be developed. That's got to be built. But that's loyalty. That's loyalty. I want us to evaluate. Are we really, don't worry, I'm not going through all six qualities. That's why I had you narrow it down to three. Are you, are you really loyal to the people around you? Are you really, do you demand loyalty in return? See, sometimes it's not just about who we are to other people. It's about what we allow other people to be to us. Some of the most broken that you can be is by allowing broken people to occupy that space in your life and not demanding that they be any better than what they are. Listen, we can let broken people in our lives. But we've got to, I, I told this to someone last night, you've got to teach them how to treat you. And when you allow every kind of action and every kind of word, they're going to continue to treat you poorly and then you're going to be broken and left unsatisfied and left feeling very frustrated. Loyalty. Authenticity is something that if we're going to belong to one another, we have to. To be real. Authenticity is the choice to be real. And listen to me, it is the worst in the church. Because people in the church feel like everything has to be perfect and wonderful. And, and you can't have any problems and you can't have any issues. And we will go and we will lay hands on everybody else that has problems and issues. But we won't acknowledge that we also have problems and we also have issues. But if you're going to belong to me and I'm going to belong to you, at some point we've got to lay the mask down. We've got to let the walls down. And we've got to say, this is who I really am. This is who I really am. I'm going to skip over that. I just, I'll just leave you with that, with authenticity. I'll go to the last thing, perseverance. Perseverance to me is probably the most important thing in any kind of relationship. I didn't have a lot of people that put, put that as a high one, but a lot of people put it. Perseverance means to truly belong to one another, that no matter what, we don't give up on each other. This should be a church where we don't give up on people. There are people that have got saved at this church and they've not came back in weeks and I'm still calling their names out in prayer. I'm not giving up. I'm still seeing an annoying Facebook messages. I still see them out at the Y at a basketball game and say, when are you coming back to church? I looked at one of them and I said, I will continue to harass you until you come back to church so you can deal with it. And she gave a nervous laugh. And I was like, I'm not playing with you. Like, I will harass you. You will have to get a restraining order against me. I am not giving up on you. Listen, people give up on themselves so easy, and they give up on a relationship with God, but they need to see that there's a people who will fight for them. They need to see that there's a people that won't quit and won't give up on them. I need you to not give up on me. You're going to get angry at me. You're going to get frustrated at me, but I need you to, and that's fine. You can be, but I don't want you to give up on me. And I might get angry and frustrated at you, but I don't need to give up on you. That's the mark of a relationship 
that we see our strengths and we see our weaknesses, but I have to choose to celebrate who you are without penalizing you for who you're not. We put all these false expectations on people. Listen, you might challenge me. I might challenge you, but we can't quit. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love never gives up. Don't say you love someone if you can give up. That's tough. True love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I read that and it convicts me. And it makes me realize we are way too quick to give up on people. One of the most frustrating things that I've heard throughout the years, not, not now, like just in general, is you hear from people who will say, well, you know, that church was only interested in me when I went to that church. When we think that someone's going to be a part of church, we will send messages and we will send phone calls, but the moment they go somewhere else or anything else, then we wash our hands and we're done. No, 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 no. We can't give up on people. We should never treat people like they are a number. They are a human being. They are not a project. We aren't trying to fix them. Simply, they should belong to us and we should belong to them. And because they belong to us, we choose to not give up on them. We persevere. Jesus himself persevered. When all the disciples fell asleep in the garden, he persevered. When they fought amongst themselves with jealousy, arguing over who was going to be the best, who was going to be the greatest, he persevered. When they didn't have enough faith, he persevered. When they had emotional outbursts and they didn't fully trust him and his plan, one of them sarcastically said, let us go to die with him, he still persevered. When they tried to do things their way instead of God's way, he still persevered. When Peter, one of the very closest to him, denied him three times, he still persevered. And when all the disciples minus John went and hid in their house, and it was only John who sat there at the cross, Judas having betrayed him and everybody else running away, he still persevered. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. In your relationships, whether it's in this church or whether it's outside of this church, whether it's your marriage, whether it's a friendship, we have to persevere. We have to dig in and do the hard work. We've got to see people's potential. We've got to inspire. We've got to push. We've got to challenge. And we've got to believe in them. We may not always agree. We may not see every situation the same way. We're not always going. People aren't always going to do the right thing even. They're going to hurt us sometimes. But we have to to persevere. Some of you have been, you know, been praying for people in three months because it's too hard. You've got to persevere. Some of you have gave up on that person. You've got to persevere. We have got to be a people that dig in and do not quit. Listen, when you're part of the family, y'all know how it is. You got some black sheep, but it doesn't change the fact that they're still not part of the family. When it's Christmas Eve, they still get the invite. You might prepare your kids in advance and say, don't say one word to Uncle Scotty. That's my black sheep. <laughs> just ignore him, whatever he says. You just, you just let it go. 
Just don't even look his way. You might, you might prepare them, but guess what? It's funny. <laughs> I, I can, in my family, I can talk about my Uncle Scotty all day long, right? Like, it's, it's my family. But I was at my mom's um, service, and somebody was, that's Scotty, and I turned around and I said, that's my uncle. You shut your mouth. Come on. You're like, we've got to understand when you're part of the family, you're part of the family. You might not always choose everybody in the family, but they're still part of the family. And no matter what, whether you agree or whether you disagree or anything else, they still belong. They still belong. And we've got to celebrate each other anyway, and we've got to persevere. Angie, you can come on up. So ultimately, what do we do? What do we do as a group of people? What do we do as a church? This is, it comes down to two words in my opinion. You and I both have to be intentional. If you feel lonely, you need to message someone. You need to get together with someone. You need to show up at the table. You need to show up at the table. We got connect groups going on. We've got opportunities for you to, to connect and all of that. we got a bunch of people. If you just tell Kaylee or Chelsea either one, Mexican, they're down. They're like, I'll be there in 20 seconds. Yeah. We have to be intentional. And listen, you can pray about it. I love when people do that. I'm praying that God sends me friends. Why don't you like... Message someone and be intentional about having a relationship with them. Listen, even in a church of our size, we run about 40 people every week. I cannot have in-depth, heart-to-heart, vulnerable relationships with all 40 people because that would be absolutely exhausting. It would wear me out. I'd have no time for my family. I'd have no time for anything. But within the 40, 20 can choose another 20, and we can all belong to somebody in here. I can have relationships with a group of people, four, five, six, seven. I can, I have a, my friend tells me, my friend Kristen, she says, you have a high capacity for relationships. She says, it just keeps getting bigger. You just keep being able to add people into the fold. We got to develop a capacity for relationships. We've got to be intentional. It's not about praying about it. Like, just go be intentional about it. Jesus wasn't on the cross saying, I might take some of these people. No, he was taking all of us in. You can, I'm going to say it again, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. We've got to be intentional. We've got to take action. And I'll say this in closing. Just because you don't like the package, that doesn't mean you get to reject the person. I remember whenever I prayed for, I went through a season a couple years ago, and I felt very, very alone. And, and I prayed, and I was surrounded by people being a teacher and, and all of that, um, but I still felt really alone. And I prayed that God would send me people. And you know who he sent me? And, and of course, I'm talking about people outside of my family. I'm talking about just, just friendships. He sent me a girl that at the time was like 19 years old. Okay, there's like 10-year age gap between us. I think there's 10 years exactly. And then he sent me someone that was like 64, And my first reaction was, God, 
Like, I'm like 28. Can you send me like someone 26 to 30, please, with a bow on top? Thank you. Like, I need, I need someone that's like got a, that they're a mom and they got two toddlers that's driving them crazy and they don't know what to do and they're just crying. And like, I need somebody that's like my age. And I kept praying that and they never came. They never like, the 28-year-old never showed up. The 29-year-old didn't show up and the 30-year-old didn't show up either. But that 64-year-old and that 19-year-old, man, they were loyal. They stayed. They were right there. And you know what? I've had some of the best. I have an incredible relationship with both of those ladies. Still yet. Years down the road. Four years down the road. But I could have very easily rejected them because I didn't like the. Well, they're too young. I'm not going to receive anything from them. Who are they? What do they know about my life? They don't have kids. They're not married. Married now. I could have said, 64 they don't know what's going on in my life right now. But no, I ended up with such a great friend. I ended up with someone that became like a mother to me. And it's, it made me feel so secure and so loved and so valued. God knows what you need more than you know what you need. And if he thinks you need the 28-year-old, he'll send you the 28-year-old. But don't you dare reject the 18-year-old or the 24-year-old or the 62-year-old simply because you have your own set of preferences. When God sends you somebody, we should be thankful. And we shouldn't reject the package just because we don't like the way that it's wrapped Amazon comes to my house every day you can ask Justin he rolls his eyes every day I got a package and sometimes the package is real beat up but I've never once called Amazon and said I didn't like the cardboard box so you take it back I don't care about the cardboard box I want what's on the inside we can't care about the outside we got to look at the heart stand with me this morning Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to listen to some of our other messages and connect with us on social media. We would love for you to visit on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. and become part of our GC family. Thanks again for listening. God bless.